Hey guys, this is Hans Hess. Uh, we've been in Easter season here. What a marvelous time of year this is. Really the highest uh, point of the church calendar in the year, and we're so thankful for Easter season. During this season, I've been preaching a series of sermons called Famous Last Words. In this series, I've been taking some of the last sayings of Christ on the cross and preaching them. There are traditionally seven last sayings of Christ on the cross. If you combine the Gospels and look at those sayings of Him uh, at the crucifixion. But I've just taken three of these and broken them down into sermons. And right now I want to deal with the first one of these that I preached on, and that is, Woman, Behold Your Son. John chapter 19, verse 26, When Jesus therefore saw His mother and the disciple whom He loved standing by, He said to His mother, Woman, behold your son. Then He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that we see four women actually at the cross with Jesus. And then, as the scene plays out in John, opposite these four women are four Roman soldiers gambling over the clothes of Jesus. So in John's beautiful portrayal of the the passage of the cross. We have on the one side four evil Roman soldiers uh, gambling for Jesus' garments. And then on the other side, four holy and devout women who have made it all the way through his ministry, all the way to the last point of the cross. But we also see John there. And it's interesting what Jesus says. He looks at his mother and says, woman, behold your son. And then he looks at John and says, Behold your mother speaking of Mary. Now we know from history that John took Mary from that moment and took care of her for the rest of her life, evidently. There's a tradition that says that John moved to Ephesus and he took Mary with her. And if you visit the ruins of Ephesus today, nearby Ephesus is the house of Mary, which has traditionally been accepted as the place where Mary lived the latter part of her life. But there just seems to be something deeper happening in this passage. I see it like uh, as John's gospel uh, looks at things in a, in a deep spiritual manner all throughout the book. If we look at even the beginning of the gospel of John, John begins his prologue. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He begins with this high spiritual writing, this high Christology, so to speak, this high view of Christ. Coming to chapter 3 of the book of John, we see Jesus speaking to Nicodemus who comes to him by night and is asking about his teachings and eternal life. And Jesus said, well, you must be born again. And Jesus is speaking on a spiritual plane, but Nicodemus is hearing it on a natural level. And he says, what are you talking about, man? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb and come out again? Jesus is like, no, no, no. You must be born of the Spirit. So there's this, this, this... tension in the book of John between the spiritual understanding and the higher thought and against the lower or the physical or the fleshly understanding. We see it in John chapter 6 when Jesus is speaking of his body, how they must eat his body and drink his blood. Again, the people were thinking in a natural sense, but of course Jesus was speaking of a higher spiritual sense. I think some of that plays out also in John chapter 19 at the cross. There's this beautiful passage here where the spiritual forces are are fighting and there's there's a 
a cosmic battle happening at the cross. And here Jesus looks down and he speaks to his mother and he speaks to John. Now, as I researched this and studied most evangelical commentaries, the the basic interpretation is Jesus cared about relationships. Jesus cared about his mother, so he wanted his mother taken care of. Well, obviously we know that's true, but there seems to be something, again, deeper and more spiritual, so to speak, happening here. And here's two things that I get out of this passage. First of all, I think he's talking about the importance of discipleship. Because these are the people, John and the four women, these are the ones who have made it with Jesus all the way to the end. And isn't that what Christian discipleship is about? It's about giving all for the Lord. It's about taking up your cross and following Him. You know, as I, as I studied this, I thought about the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a uh, Lutheran, a young Lutheran pastor during the reign of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis in Germany. And Bonhoeffer wrote some very interesting works. One was called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that, he compares costly grace with cheap grace. He defines costly grace is that that costs a man his life. And it's, it's grace because it gives a man the only true life, Bonhoeffer said. He contrasted that to cheap grace, which he called the grace we bestow on ourselves. That is grace without discipleship. And so uh, I, I see that here. John and the women have given everything they have. They've experienced this costly grace because the requirements for following Jesus were very strong in the Gospels. Jesus said it would require self-denial. Matthew chapter 16, he said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Not only that, it required one to leave everything, basically. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, He said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be My disciple. And also it required a fruitfulness. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in him bears much fruit. And he goes on and says, if you don't bear fruit, you're cast out and you're withered and then eventually thrown into the fire. And finally, following Jesus requires a steadfastness. He said, if you abide in my word, John chapter 8, and, and if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall, shall make you free. So these are strong requirements for following Jesus. And isn't this what John and these women have done. John now becomes the prototype disciple. He becomes the model disciple. He's followed Jesus all the way to the cross. Listen, in our own lives, this speaks so powerfully. As we follow Christ, we can't stop short. We can't sit on the bench. We can't say, hey, I'm going to take a break. Hey, I'm quitting. No, it requires everything we have. We've got to follow him all the way to the end. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. But there's one other thing I think this passage speaks of, and that is the importance of the church. And why do I say that? I, I thought about uh, this passage in terms of discipleship, and discipleship happens best in community. The great uh, New Testament scholar Raymond Brown looked at this episode in the gospel and he said, John here is the model disciple 
And he is linked with the family of Jesus here. And thus this discipleship element continues. This take care of my mother it now takes on a profound understanding. Why didn't Jesus say, hey, go get my brothers and let my brothers take care of my mother? That would have been the natural thing, but he didn't do that. He said, John, you take care of mother. Because now there's like a greater priority. There's a new commitment. And this new commitment is the church being the church. Now John is to take care of her because they are linked because of their commitment to Jesus. And it's interesting at the, uh, at the upper room in Acts chapter 2, we see the disciples gathered there and Mary was with them, which means when the Holy Spirit descended and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it means Mary was filled with the Spirit too. And then evidently Mary goes out probably with some of the traveling dis disciples and apostles, obviously with John going out in some of these evangelistic missions probably and ends up in Asia Minor at the end with John the Apostle. Isn't that cool? That now the church becomes the priority. So when Jesus said, you must hate father and mother, I don't think he literally meant, okay, you got to hate your mom and dad because we know that we're taught to love and we're taught to take care of our families later on in the writings of Paul and so forth. But what I think he was communicating is there, there now must be a preference, a preference for the spiritual family, a preference for the kingdom, a preference for following Jesus. If your family doesn't want you to follow Christ, you got to follow him anyhow. If your friends ridicule you for following Christ, you've got to follow him anyhow. If someone tries to get you to stop short of your goal, you got you got to ignore them and you got to go past that. You've got to follow him all the way. That's what this passage speaks to me. It's following Jesus all the way to the end. We live in North Carolina in farming country, and down here some of the farmers have taught me a new term, and that is what they call the short rows, meaning when they go out to plow a field or to harvest a field, they know their work's finished when they get to the short rows. They get to the corners. They get to the end of the field. And I thought about that as I was studying this passage we need to follow him all the way to the short rows. We don't quit in the middle. We don't quit at noontime. We follow him all the way to the job is done and the evening has come. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And if you're considering quitting, considering dropping out of church, considering just saying, hey, man, I've, I've tried this and it isn't working. Stop right there. Turn around. Go back and renew that relationship you have with the Lord and let him strengthen you because we've got a task to do. We, we put our hands to this plow and we can't turn back. Hey, God bless you guys.